In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We'll continue our Bible study from Psalm 73, starting from verse 17. But before we start, I like to mention that this psalm is one of the very important psalm because it answers a very important question which was repeated not only by Asaph, the author of this psalm, but by many prophets and many fathers from the Old Testament. And until now, we find the same question is asked repeatedly, over and over. The question is, we expect that godly people should not suffer in their life and wicked people should suffer. But sometimes, of course, this is a wrong belief system. Because if godly people should not suffer, then the Lord Jesus Christ should not suffer. But he suffered. And many times, people, godly people, when they suffer and go through difficult time, and they see the wicked people, the ungodly, live prosperous life, they start to doubt their faith and to doubt the fairness of God. How a fair God, how a just God, let the wicked prosper in their life and prosper in their wealth and in their health. And the godly people, they are actually every day disciplined and chastened and suffer. So from verse 1 to verse 16 in this psalm, that's what Asaph was saying, the author of this psalm. Why the people actually, the wicked people, living in prosperity, why I am suffering every day? And he came to conclusion that in vain I worshipped God. It was vain. I tried to be honest to God, but every day I suffered, I went through difficult time and tribulation. So he became envious of the wicked people who did not suffer. This actually from verse 1 to verse 16. Then from verse 17, there is a turning point. His inability to understand these circumstances change it when Asaph enters the sanctuary of God. As we read in verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. So going into the sanctuary caused Asaph to see the life from another perspective, from God's perspective, not from earthly perspective. So the turning point in his attitude came when he stopped trying to solve the issue through mere human understanding. But he sought out illumination from God regarding this matter. There came to him in the sanctuary the thought that 
to judge correctly of the happiness or misery of any man, it is necessary to await the end. To judge the happiness or the misery of any person, it is necessary to await the end. Then he began to think not of the present, not of the present moment, but the future. Not of the advantage of sinful life, but its consequences. So what did going to the house of God do to Asaph when he went to the church, when he went to the sanctuary? There in the church, he could gain understanding in several ways. And this is true. When we are confused by prayer and worship in the sanctuary, we understand that God is at the center of all things. He is Pantocrator, controller of all. He's in control. That's why Asaph gained a fresh appreciation of both God and eternal life. By hearing the word of God in the sanctuary, he understood that there is a truth that went beyond what he saw and experienced in the present time. And this is one of God's great purposes in establishing a place where the children of God come together to meet with God. It is good to have a place, a church, a place, separate from all other places, where when we come here, we focus on a heavenly, eternal perspective. Asaph, in verse 17, he said, then I understood their end. Then I understood their end. He did not share with us what he felt or how he felt or what was the experience that he has. But he shared with us, he understood their end. Yes, it is not a bad thing to feel and experience the right things in the house of God. But more importantly, is to understand, to understand the truth that God is communicating to us inside the church. What Asaph realized in verse 18, now he is explaining to us what did he understand. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. So Asaph realized that the wicked people will not go unpunished. Their happiness has no firm foundation. It is very unstable, like a man is standing on a very slippery ground. That's why in verse 18 he said, you set them in slippery places. The fall often comes even in this life, 
not only in the eternal life, but even in this life. Let me give you many examples from the scripture. The flourishing city of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by fire from heaven. Pharaoh's land is ruined by plagues, the ten plagues. His hosts were destroyed in the Red Sea. Samharib's army perishes in one night, 185,000 persons. Jezebel, the wicked queen, was devoured by dogs. Athaliah was slain with the sword. Herod Agrippa was eaten by wolves. Persecutors like Neron, who killed St. Peter and St. Paul, come to end. So Asaph understood that the ease and security of the wicked people was only an illusion. And they were actually ready to fall at any time. That's why he said, you cast them down to destruction. You cast them down to destruction. Destruction is before them. And the end will demonstrate the justice of God. Nothing can be determined from their present condition. But let us wait for the end. Like the story of Lazarus and the rich man. If we focused on their earthly life, we will say like Asaph, it is unfair. But when we look at the end, we can see the justice of God. Verse 19. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terror. So Asaph could only understand this from when he started to look at the whole situation from eternal perspective. And as I explained, this eternal perspective came to him when he was in the house of the Lord, in the church. In daily life, he was able only to see what worked well for the wicked. But with eternal perspective, he saw another side. He saw their destruction, their desolation with terror. He how suddenly and unexpectedly does destruction come upon them as in a moment. Nothing can be argued from their apparent prosperity. Why? For there is no ground of security in that. No basis for an argument that it will continue. Slippery places. That's why he said they are utterly consumed with terrors. How they were utterly consumed as though they did not ever exist, utterly consumed, as if they never exist. St. Augustine says, they are indeed like vapor, that while going up, 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 it vanishes. So the wicked will vanish like this. Earlier in the psalm, 
We had the feeling that Asaf would gladly trade places with the wicked men. He was envious of them because they seemed to him blessed. So he's ready to take their places. But after he looked from eternal perspective, now we see that Asaf would never trade his place with the wicked men. Verse 20, as a dream when one awakes, so Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. So their prosperity and comfort, like weak and they were weak and shaky, like a prosperity and comfort found in a dream, just a dream. A dream is short-lived, and the dreamer is soon faced with the reality. So their prosperity is nothing but imaginary. It's not substance, but mere shadow. It's not what it seems to be. That's why he said, you shall despise their image. It is just imagination. Imagination. Because there is no everlasting prosperity here on earth. So Asaf admitted that it seemed as if God were asleep when they were prospering. Because one could not always see his active hand of judgment against the wicked. Many times we say, where is God? Why he is allowing these people to prosper? Why he did not strike the terrorist, for example? So sometimes we perceive God when we don't see his active hand of judgment as if God was asleep. So using this idea, Asaf knew that God would not always sleep in his patience. Yes, he is patient toward the wicked, but one day he will awake and judge them. He will despise their image. That's why he told them, you, so Lord, when you awake, when you start taking action against them, when your patience is over, you shall despise their image. So, why in the wicked may prosper in this life? In the end, they are without hope and will experience the judgment of God. Then Asaf, from verse 21, start to make a confession. He said, Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. Asaf confesses that at, the time, at that time, he did not see all of this. The solution did not present itself to him. He was too full of grief and bitterness to consider the matter calmly and objectively. When he was under temptation, he was grieved. All of this happened before he went into the sanctuary of the Lord. The psalmist now looks back at himself as he was before, as he was before he was enlightened, 
and regrets his folly. He was responding at that time in ignorance. He was ignorant of the truth of God and eternity. That's why after he said, Thus my heart was grieved at that time, and I was vexed in my mind. He said in verse 22, I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. I was like a beast before you. In knowledge of the ways and works of God, I had no intelligence. I was like a beast. A beast who was wholly unable to reason the right thing. So the psalmist was tested and tried by his temptation to doubt God, to doubt the fairness of God, the justice of God. And through it, he learned about himself. He learned about the weakness of his own intellect when he is without help from the Holy Spirit. That's why the Bible tells us, don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't lean in your own understanding. By the way, Asaph response when he said, I was like a beast before you, is the same response that Job had at the end of his trial. You can read it in Job 42 from verse 1 to 6. When we put God at the center of our vision, then we realize that our thoughts are wrong. And we have falsely accused God and charged Him. Verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. Asaph emerged from this trial more strongly dependent on God. That's why he said, nevertheless, despite all these temptations, despite my foolishness in yielding to this temptation, nevertheless, when we open our eyes to the spiritual realm and stop measuring life from physical realm only, then we are able to see the blessings of God clearly. Asaph realized that God holds him by his right hand. Yes, he allowed him to go through this temptation, but during this time, God was holding the right hand of Asaph. He now sees that God is holding his hand. Why? To bring him to safety from this trial. But also, he declared that not only God was with him, but Asaph also was with God. When he said, nevertheless, I am continually with you. How he was with God? When he was troubled, tempted, doubted God, he did not say, you know what? I'm not going to church anymore. Can you imagine what would happen to Asaph if he made such decision? I will not go to the church. He wouldn't realize the truth of God. But when he came to the church, all his confusion was resolved. In the church, he knew the truth. In the church, he knew the whole perspective from eternal view.
So it was not enough for Asaf to know and to say God was with him. But also he admitted that he is with God. When we are confused, when we are tempted, even when we start to doubt God, let us go to God, ask for an answer. Let us come to the church, ask for an answer. Because with the new perspective that he gained in the church, Asaf knew that God would guide him in this life and ultimately he will receive him to glory. As he said in verse 24, you will guide me with your counsel and afterward, after I die, you receive me to glory. Asaf now expresses full confidence in God's continual guidance through all life's dangers and difficulties, temptations and trials. He had the faithful expectation also, the hope of afterward glory. And this is a deliberate contrast with the end of the wicked. The wicked, as we mentioned from verse 17 to 19, destruction, desolation. But the righteous will enjoy glory, like Lazarus enjoyed the glory. The rich man, the wicked person, he suffered destruction. So as a godly man, Asaph has his afterward glory, but the wicked will have destruction, desolation, and terrors. It is important to recognize that in the course of this psalm, Asaph's circumstances did not change. What, what changed? Not his circumstances, but what changed his perspective? How we start to look from eternal perspective? So what really changes is not the circumstances of Asaph, but it's the way that he sees his situation and the way he views the God in this situation. One of the beautiful verses is 25. He said, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside you. So, this is a beautiful expression of a longing heart for God and for eternity. In short, Asaf is saying God is enough for him in heaven and on earth. While the wicked were finding contentment in earthly things that would pass away, Asaf is reminded of the sufficiency and satisfaction that is only available in God. Asaf turns away from the glamour which fascinated him at the beginning of the psalm to the true gold which was his real treasure, God. He felt that his God was better to him than all the wealth, health, honor, peace, which he had so much envy in worldly people and ungodly people. So as we trust God and find our joy in God, 
we can experience true contentment regardless of our circumstances. Asaf recognized both his weakness and the strength of God. And also he recognized the enduring character of God's strength. God was not upset at Asaf, did not disappoint him. He was patient until Asaf realized his foolishness. So, even when we age and when our bodily and mental powers fail, God will continue to be our sure refuge in every danger. And God will be our position which cannot be taken away from us. In reality, God is the source of our happiness. Not wealth, not honor, not earthly friends, not fame will be our reliance. We do not rely on these things. But that which we will regard as most valuable will be the fact that God is our friend and our portion, our God and our Savior. So our last and sufficient refuge is God. When we die, we have no other refuge but God. Verse 26, my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So even when my flesh and my heart fail, as we said, our bodily and our mental abilities fail, God will be our strength. God continue to be our portion forever. Verse 27, For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for her lottery. The last two verses of this psalm like the conclusion of the matter for Asaf. The psalm started with a statement of the goodness of God and ends in the same way. After all he had experienced, he is sure that the wicked will perish, but God is good to those who trust him. Asaf no longer had doubts about the destiny of the ungodly and wicked. With eternal perspective gained at the house of the Lord, he understood that they would indeed perish. Those who are far from the Lord will perish. God is the source of life. So whoever is far from the source of life will perish. This is unchanging truth. This is an important truth. God also will destroy the unfaithful. Therefore, don't be envious of their situation in the present life. And the psalmist is once again confident in God's righteous judgment. Those who desert you for her lottery will perish. Why he used the word her lottery? Those who follow after other gods and worship them love of money, love of pleasure, ego. It is a spiritual adultery because 
Christ is our bridegroom. When I forsake Christ and go after money, pleasure, ego, pride, I'm committing a spiritual adultery. I'm cheating on my bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a fornication. And the scripture often speak of, when he speak about harlotry or spiritual adultery, he's speaking about worshiping of idols or love of money, love of pleasure, love of pride. Because the relationship of God to his people is in the scripture is like a marriage relationship. The last verse, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. I may declare all your works. It is amazing and astounding to see how much good Asaph's visit to the house of the Lord did for him. This visit turned his life completely. It gave him understanding of an eternal perspective. He saw the great benefit in drawing near to God. It's good for me to draw near to God. Although he doubted God in verse 13, but now he said it's good for me to draw near to God. He saw the value of putting his trust in God. Now he understands that God is reliable and could be trusted. He had passion to declare all God's works. He would become a messenger of God's goodness and to tell the people about the eternal perspective that he gained in the house of God. He said, it is good for me to be near to God than to be far from Him. The greater we draw near to God, the less we are affected by the attractions and distractions of the world. Again, the greater we draw near to God, the less we are affected by the attractions and distractions of the world. Entering the most holy place, the church is great privilege and a cure for multitude of illness. Asaph hesitated in the beginning of the psalm to openly proclaim his doubts about God because he doesn't want to offend the people about God. But now he has no reservation to declare all God's works as he said, I may declare all your words. This actually concludes Psalm 73. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.